This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. This is Dave Iverson. At just about every educational conference on Parkinson's I've ever attended, someone living with the disease will raise a question about alternative or complementary approaches to dealing with their condition. What about diet, one person will ask, or exercise? What about natural medications or mindfulness? So why is there so much interest in learning more about ideas that go beyond the pharmacy or surgical suite? Well, I think because patients are smart and they know that there are more options out there than what they're being talked to. Laura Mishley is a doctor of naturopathic medicine with a master's degree in public health who researches complementary approaches to treating Parkinson's at Bastyr University near Seattle. I think that physicians are doing a great job helping people navigate their options with drugs and surgery. But anyone who gets on Google and types in the word Parkinson's can see that there are thousands of other options out there. But when they go to their conventional doctors and say, help me navigate these options, there aren't many people or providers out there to help navigate what are the risks and benefits of each of those. What do I stand to gain and what do I stand to lose? Mishley says more research needs to be done to validate which complementary approaches work and which don't. But she argues that some alternatives have already been well-researched. Case in point, the nutritional supplement, citicoline. There are three studies that have been done on a nutrient called citicoline, also known as CDP-choline. The nutritional molecule is found in soy and egg yolks is where we get it from. And the three studies that have been done all show that when you take two to four caps per day of acetylcholine, it makes your levodopa last longer. So you can improve the efficacy and duration of levodopa's actions by 30 to 50%, depending on how much you take. So for somebody who is reaching the higher limits of levodopa or really resistant to increasing their dose, I think a very underutilized therapy is acetylcholine. We should be using that to get more out of the meds that we know work and work well. Mishley thinks it's crucial not to set up a false choice between conventional and alternative approaches. Rather, she says, we need to think more about how to integrate one approach with the other. And it's not an either or. I'm not anti-pharmaceutical drugs. It's how can we make these work better for us with fewer side effects. But the greatest need Mishley sees is developing more sophisticated techniques for assessing both pharmaceutical and alternative approaches to treating a disease that affects people in such varied ways. She cites the famous case of coenzyme Q10, a nutritional supplement many researchers hoped would slow Parkinson's progression. The National Institutes of Health halted the study when initial results proved disappointing. I absolutely agree with the decision of NINDS to stop the study when they did. I mean, I completely understand that statistically it was futile. My frustration with that study is that what they did was they took all newly diagnosed Parkinson's patients and gave everybody coenzyme Q10. I had published a study right as that study was getting out that said 30% of people with Parkinson's are walking around overtly coenzyme Q10 deficient. So my question is, could we do a better job with studies? What would the results have been if instead of treating everybody like they needed CoQ10, what would have happened if we had simply supplemented those individuals who were deficient and asked, among individuals who are deficient, does coenzyme Q10 supplementation make a difference in disease progression? 
In addition to improved study design, another obstacle at Michele Sites is finding the resources to support research into alternative approaches. By definition, these are not ideas that will be big money makers. They're not proprietary or patent-protected products, and it's tougher to find funding for research that won't necessarily generate a profit. The problem that we have historically had is research is really expensive. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money to do a good study. So there is a huge disadvantage to trying to do studies on interventions that aren't going to make somebody a bunch of money. It just means that the pool of resources available to move this research forward are exponentially smaller. One approach that may help solve the problem is doing studies based on patient-generated data. She's now enrolled 750 people worldwide who fill out online surveys every six months in an attempt to discern who's living well with Parkinson's and why. The questionnaire asks about topics ranging from loneliness to diet, exercise to attitude. We expected that until we had 2,000 people enrolled in the study, we wouldn't have any statistical findings. And with our 750, I am already thrilled at what we're seeing. We are really close to being able to tell patients, look, we don't understand it, we don't know what it means, but we are starting to put together a picture that describes the recipe for success. And in Mishley's view, right now, it's more important to validate the recipe than it is to understand the why behind all the ingredients. Sometimes, she says, it makes sense to go with what works, even if we don't fully understand why. We treated scurvy with limes for 200 years before we identified vitamin C. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we shouldn't be implementing it and applying it. To learn more about what we know and what we don't know about complementary and alternative approaches to treating Parkinson's disease, join us for our next Third Thursday webinar on May 21st. I'm Dave Iverson. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.